Welcome to Future Out Loud from the School for the Future of Innovation in Society at Arizona State University. I'm Heather Ross. Together with Andrew Maynard, we bring you conversations with experts on and off campus where we think out loud about our collective future. In today's episode, Andrew and I were joined in our office on Arizona State University's campus to talk, to continue talking about the future of elections. And we thought that it would be a great idea, as long as we're thinking about the future, to talk to somebody who is going to be involved in elections long into the future, long after uh, Andrew or I will be involved in elections and voting. So we reached out to the Arizona SciTech Institute and uh, the Chief Science Officer Program to talk with a Chief Science Officer. Now, the Arizona SciTech Institute has this incredible program, and I would encourage you definitely to check it out. You can visit SciTechInstitute.org, S-C-I-T-E-C-H Institute.org, and learn about this program where they engage middle school and high school students to be chief science officers, really helping to build the next generation of the STEM workforce and to act as ambassadors for science and science learning back to their communities. So we were so fortunate to hook up with Kelly Green, who is the Chief Operations Officer. Did I mess that up? Chief Operations Officer and the Director of Student Success at the SciTech Institute, and also a former CSO and now Arizona State University undergraduate student, Dominique Browning. So Kelly and Dominique came into the office, and we wanted to get their input as the next generation, the future of scientists, of citizens, and of voters. We got to hear about Dominique's first experience voting in an election. She did that in November of 2018, and I think that her insights were really helpful. I will mention that when we recorded this episode, it was at the height of allergy season here in the Valley of the Sun, and I was definitely suffering that day uh, with a very deep voice and even some coughing and hacking, though I really tried to hold it together. So apologies for that. Tried to keep that away from the microphone and your ears as much as we could. One other thing to mention uh, before we get started is that we are going to be, we originally planned that this was going to close out our election series, but Andrew and I had the opportunity to meet with an incredible elections official from outside of the United States. Uh, And so we're going to be recording that episode and it'll get popped on here as a really fascinating caboose to the election mini series. It might not be next week, but uh, within the next couple of weeks. So stay tuned for that. 
As always, thank you for being here with us as part of the Future Out Loud community. You might have been given this episode by a friend, and if you're not already subscribed, go ahead and subscribe to Future Out Loud wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Or if you are already a subscriber, then thank you so much. And hey, you might have a friend or colleague who would be interested in hearing Future Out Loud and becoming part of our community as well. You can certainly tweet at us at Future Out Loud. We love to hear your thoughts and thank you to people who have been uh, tweeting and DMing us to uh, share some ideas for future guests as we work on our upcoming new mini-series to follow this elections mini-series. So without further ado, on with Kelly Green, Dominique Browning, the Arizona SciTech Institute, and the future of elections. Hi, Andrew. Hi, Heather. Hi, Kelly. Hi. And hi, Dominique. Hello. I am very glad to have you all here, and you'll forgive my and regular listeners will recognize that I sound a little bit different. I've got the, I am the, the voice of the allergy sufferer in uh, the Valley of the Sun right now, so. And you have all our sympathy. Yes, why thank <laughs> so. you, thank you. So I'm gonna try my best to uh, not cough and hack too much into the microphone. We are really excited to have you here with us. Um, you are both from the Arizona Science Technology, oh, I'm blanking. <laughs> we actually represent the SciTech Institute. SciTech Institute. The Chief Science Officer Program is an international yeah. student program. Yeah, so what is the Chief Science Officer Program? Sixth through 12th graders are yes. elected to be STEM ambassadors on their campus, and we have different regions across the, um, in a different states, and we also have students in Kuwait and Mexico. So they represent their campus and try to impact the STEM culture. Oh, wonderful. So wait, did you say you were elected? Dominique, were you elected to be a CSO? Yes, I was elected to be a CSO. What was that process like? It was pretty fun because it reminds you almost like student council where you give a speech to certain classes, which we gave speeches to my English class. Okay. To a few English classes actually. And then after our speeches of why we thought we would be a great STEM ambassador at our school. We passed out ballots and then they casted their vote and next thing you know, I'm elected as the first chief science officer of my school. So I could have asked, what was the competition like? Ha, it was kind of fierce because Mm. we thought that these two students, me and another student, would be at the top and then someone, an underdog, came from (laughs) below and took the second position. Right. Okay, wow, well. You know, we see that play out in elections around the world, of course, with um, people coming in. And, you know, we've been talking with um, with experts in elections, both elected officials whose job it is to run elections and scholars who are involved with new election technologies and things like this. And, uh, you know, one of the things that we are really excited to know about is from particularly your your perspective, Dominique, you told us right before we started recording that you cast your first ballot in a U.S. election just in 2018. Yes, I did. What was that like? I felt like 
an adult, I would say. That's the most adult thing I could do, not being 21 and being over 18, is to actually vote in an election. And okay. my sister was the main driving force. She was the one that got me up at maybe 6 in the morning, mm -hmm. dragged me to the library, made me stand on the line, and actually get my voice out there. Okay. So now did you vote, did you have a, a ballot to vote by mail? Did you already have your ballot or did you vote sort of in person with a an in-person ballot there? We tried to do the in-person way and then technical difficulties happened and then I ended up actually bringing my mail-in ballot from home and oh, turning it in. So, so you did it campus. twice, so you went out first time and it yeah. failed, so you actually went back to get mm -hmm. your mail-in ballot. That's determination of voters. I'm impressed. Yes. Yeah. Not everybody would voting. return. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, one of the interesting things about the United States is that and in this twenty eighteen midterm general election, we said, Oh, we had this wonderful turnout, great for midterm. Almost fifty percent of eligible voters turned out. Oh my gosh, that's great. Fifty percent didn't. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. So what motivated you to vote? Besides, besides your sister. sister. Yeah. <laughs> besides my sister, there were different sort of systems in place here at Arizona State University where it would make it easy for me to cast my vote. I just walked over that crazy bridge on campus, mm -hmm. went into, I believe, the mailing office, passed the long line of kids, which made me want to make cast my vote even more. Mm -hmm. Turn it into the little box. Went right back out, grabbed a donut, and went back to class. So, so it was very easy. Good. Yes, yes. it's very easy. Yes. And my but that peers was the were second, talking about it. But that it. was the second time round. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Very easy. Yeah. But even even that first time, I, you said your sister sort of got dragged you out of bed and dragged you to the the, the polling station. Very I, if if it hadn't have been for her, would you have voted? Probably not. <laughs> Probably not, but I did get the the ballot without her okay. pushing me to get the ballot. So there was intent there. You yes. were leaning towards. I wanted to. You, you registered to vote. You got yourself on the permanent early voting or, or Pebble list. Yes. Um, how What was that process like for you? Like, What made you want to register to vote? Because it was easy. Because I was 18. And I just went online. I got my card. Yeah. Told them where to send it. Next thing you know, I'm casting my vote. Great. So I, I actually, I want to get to what went wrong first time round in a minute. But before that, uh, I've got to ask you, what do you think about people of a similar age to you who don't even bother to register and say, this is nothing to do with me? And there seem to be a remarkable number of those. Mm -hmm. And that was me. Right. <laughs> right. It truly was. I feel like we don't know the impact that we can have on the world just by checking a box. It's, it's so simple how one person, i.e. my sister, can mm -hmm. influence right. me, can influence her roommate, and then her influencing me makes me influence the rest of my friends. Just how one person can start a, start a fire of voting right. and participation. That and ripple effect is important. Huh? Yeah. yeah, and you, you must have found that, Heather, in the elections. <coughs> Um, I did, absolutely. You know, not only do we know from research that that individual nudge to vote is valuable, mm -hmm. peer pressure is really a valuable way to encourage people to vote. There have been studies where, um, so your voting 
record um, when you have voted in elections. What your ballot says is, is secret, of course, but when you cast a ballot, that is publicly available knowledge. So the idea, um, there have been studies done that publish that information and like if you know that your neighbors are going to know if you did or didn't vote uh, right. you see voting rates shaming. go way up yes yes, yes. Yeah. voting <laughs> shaming I, I see that on facebook you know everybody posts their i voted sticker mm -hmm. right, right. selfie so, so public yeah. shaming if you don't if you don't post yours yeah yes. absolutely public and shaming uh, works yeah <laughs> yeah and if you ask people if they voted, if they didn't vote, they do have this sort of sheepish look. Yeah. Yeah. Especially yeah. if they want to discuss what's going on in the world and they want to have their voice, but yet they didn't take that time, which mm -hmm. is the important part about our program is that everybody has their voice and being elected as a CSO, we're establishing that early mm -hmm. so they can identify with the fact that you have something to say, it's valuable. People are gonna listen to you if you actually stand up and say it. So this, you know, option for her to actually cast her vote, Dominique being able to actually participate and feel the validation of I did vote is now solidifying all the things that we taught her in the program about being able to stand up and believe in what you're saying and fight for it. So. I, you know, I'd never even thought about that in terms of giving you the, the social legitimacy to be part of a conversation, saying I've actually sort of done something which allows me to do that. Um, and I've, I've got to say, so I, this, this just about, about fits in, but the thing that, that really sticks with me from the, the 2018 election was there was on the local radio, there was an interview with an ASU student, and there was, it was an article about why students aren't voting. Um, and what I couldn't believe is this student had taken something like an hour out of her day to travel all the way down to the local um, radio station to wait, to give an interview, then get back to class, and her reason for not voting was she didn't have any time. <laughs> but yeah, that's <laughs> and I, I just I love the irony of that. Um, but then, sort of, with your experience, so you you'd say you you were sort of you were committed to voting. At least your sister had sort of fired up that commitment, yeah. and things went wrong. What went wrong first time round? I believe there was something wrong with the printer at the at the voting facility that we went mm. to, and then people started to get angry when this person filled out their information first and then they didn't get their actual printed ballot and then the people after them were getting their ballot and then it was kind of just a little bit of chaos. Okay. Right. So with your background in STEM and science and technology, right, um, and engineering of course, how does, you know, what do you think about our voting technology? May I interject? Yeah. You haven't seen the actual flip the switch <laughs> from the old days. <laughs> I, that's when I casted my first vote was we actually flicked the little levers on the voting machine. Yeah, really? Me you too. had to crank it over and so that you wow. cast that's your right. ballot. So. That's right. And, if, it's you, come a and long if you way. open the curtain to ask a question, your ballot is it's cast. Yeah. What, what yeah. is this country? I mean, in, in, the, in the UK, we just had a piece of paper that we actually... Yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah. So that was <laughs> no, we, no we, we didn't no even have chats, chats in the UK. <laughs> yeah, but no, that was my first in-person yeah. voting. My first voting experience was when I was also like you in college. Um, and I voted absentee because I went to university away from where I lived and I thought it was important to cast my vote where I lived. Um, so I voted absentee, sitting on my dorm room bed, filling out a paper ballot. But then 
the first presidential that I, I graduated from college. I moved, I registered to vote, very important to me. Voted in my first presidential election and they had machines. And I remember having this panic, like, I don't know how to work the machines. We never learned that mm -hmm. in school. Yeah. What if I screwed up and then I thought, no, no, you have a college degree. You can do this. <laughs> and the fun part about that was the man standing in front of me in line. And this was in the 1996 presidential when President Clinton was reelected. A man standing in front of me in line. No joke. Governor Michael Dukakis. Mm. Really? Mm -hmm. mm. Yep. So and I thought, oh, America. Go America. <laughs> yeah. So um, so there were some technology issues. Yeah. And, you know, what did you think about that? Like, was that frustrating to you? Or did you go, oh, yeah, it's a complex system. And, you know, we know technology is hard. I was honestly okay with it because technology is difficult. And I don't know how, how new those machines were. I'm not mm -hmm. used to the voting experience. And, and maybe those machines were new to print out ballots. Maybe they weren't, but with technology, there's always something that can go wrong. Mm. Yeah. And then you need the patience to fix it, which, which honestly, people nowadays don't really have the patience okay. sometimes to wait for a problem to be fixed, hence the angry mob that pursued after the difficulty. With voting. Yeah. Okay. All right, good. So. There's some issues there. And you observed that as a young person. Did you feel like your experience as sort of your generational experience, as well as your experience as a chief science officer in high school, do you feel like that gave you a different perspective than some of the people maybe from a different generation who were at that polling place? I would say yes, that it did give me It's a bit of a leading question, yes. if I'm fair. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I was like, as she looks yeah. around the room and we're all... <laughs> <laughs> Don't say no. Yes. <laughs> I am young, it is different for me. Yes. Okay, all right. So, you know, what do you, um, what do you want people to... What do you think is important for us to think about, about voting and the elections process and things like this, and how should we think about voting going forward? What are things we can do to make it better, work better? I think we should understand that one voice can make a difference. Okay. And with the process of casting your vote, maybe we can improve how it is done. Okay. Is paper really the most reliable thing of the mm -hmm. future of how to cast our votes? Mm -hmm. Does it keep up with the advancing technology? Maybe next time I'll be voting on, a, on, on something else. Right. But on, on that front, so I was going to say the nice thing about paper, but actually this isn't a nice thing, is it's harder to fake it, and I'm actually not sure yeah. that that's true. But do you have any worries about digital systems being easier to hack? There's worries with paper being hacked. Right, and that's why I hesitated halfway <laughs> through the that. <laughs> right. So even when they would scan the paper copies or yeah. how they would mm -hmm. tabulate all of those um, ballots being cast, I think that there is still the fact that we're only at 50%, right? And mm -hmm. then there's still enough people that are not willing to even voice mm -hmm. their opinion um, is what is probably the bigger concern. Right. I yeah. think the 
growing group of students right now that I work with, technology is everywhere. It's in their hands. They've grown up with it. Uh -huh. Whereas my generation, we're a little more comfortable with a paper ballot. So filling out the mail-in or dropping it off because mm -hmm. we had it in paper is almost easier than standing in line and then flipping the lever. However, the question then concerns everybody about this issue of will it be safe? Will my opinion be secure? Um, I think as a, as a country we really need to investigate that and I think the point of our program is also making sure we're electing the right people. Obviously there's a process for people to be put on the ballot mm -hmm. but really redefining what do we want them to achieve and I think that's the next question for the generation you know that Dominique could probably help us understand is what do they need to know to want to vote right and yeah. what background information on the candidates would help them feel like they need to vote and, and how they get that information right yeah I mean what do you think that's the most important thing about the future of elections is like because what I'm hearing you say is transparency mm -hmm. about candidates yeah I I honestly didn't know that much about everyone that was on the ballot this past year okay. and I wish I did know more okay that it was readily available for me that I could trust this information but how do I know that I can trust it like I think that's where people of my age sort yeah. of struggle everything's online and and things might be fake they might be real how do we know that things are real but but isn't it interesting that sort of talking about vulnerabilities in the system it sounds from this conversation like the greater vulnerability is in the information that people use to vote on rather than the voting technology itself right it's still that human connection mm. I'm voting for you because I believe in what you say or what I've read about you and then maybe you have a chance to attend a rally and hear them actually speak but then there's still that level of how do I really know what you're going to do so voting patterns you know mm -hmm. different information that's available to um, an individual is there but not everybody knows how to research that either yeah. so if you really want to be well informed it's up to you the voter to figure it out and I think that's very challenging for a lot of individuals who maybe didn't attend college or maybe right. you know just the average Joe right that wants to do good things for America but doesn't really know what they should be looking for right. I think that's a big deal or perhaps doesn't have a thousand hours absolutely to do yeah. that research because they're going to work to try to put food on the table absolutely. for their family yeah yeah. yeah. All right. So, how did you resolve that? I mean, where did you get information from, or did you do what I suspect a lot of people do? <laughs> did you look at the ballot and you think, "What on earth am I going to do?" A B C D. I'm just kidding. <laughs> a bit of both, I would say. Uh, that, that's a really great question. I should have. That's what people research. usually say when they have no idea what yeah. the answer is. <laughs> I, you know, I don't even know, and Heather, you can probably enlighten me here, I, what is the easiest way, certainly in Maricopa County, that mm -hmm. people can find out um, who the candidates are, what they stand for, what the issues are? Sure. So, you know, here in Arizona, we've got this clean election system, and the clean election system has a website that every candidate, whether they're a clean elections candidate or a traditional elections candidate, can post information on. Um, and you know it's similar types of information. Um, the uh, the Arizona Secretary of State's office, of course, has a list of every candidate who's running for office. Um, there are websites like Ballotopedia, 
that do a pretty good job of pulling together some data about candidates. Most candidates have a website, um, that, but once you're doing that, it's marketing. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. And it, it still feels like it's a lot of work if you've got, I don't know how many sort of people there are on a ballot. It's it's a lot. It's a lot depending on the election. That, yeah. That's right. And working out sort of how you do due diligence on each of these people. <coughs> yes. um, and that's somewhere where it, it, it strikes me maybe quite naively that there must be ways of using technology to make that easier. As long as you can trust the information. Well, that that's it. How can you trust the information? Right, yes. They're also... Um, you know, groups like the Arizona Republic, um, our major newspaper here in Arizona, azcentral.com, gives candidates the opportunity to respond to their candidate questionnaires. Um, and so that's, you know, in one centralized location. But it is difficult. Yeah. It is difficult. Most people are not like me looking up the background and Googling every person who's running for the water board. Right. No. Not waterboarding, that is different. <laughs> 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 yeah. I think the um, from working with the students in this program, there's a lot they are better at communicating their ideas without being frustrated. Mm -hmm. I think okay. that individuals in my age, my peer groups, my friends, my family, people still tend to hold their beliefs to be true and not necessarily want to um, discuss what's on the table. Mm -hmm. Whereas I find with working with individuals like Dominique that these students are open to discussion and they want to know more and they're not already preconceived bias. Right. And I think the um, party lines are also blurred quite a bit. You know, when growing up it was like either straight Republican or straight Democrat, you voted straight down the ballot. Whereas now there's a lot more um, ambiguity of which, where did you vote and why? where, again, my generation is a little bit more controversial about their opinions. If you did this, we're not going to be friends anymore. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Whereas yeah. um, students today, if we can educate them that they can decide and you don't have to be feel judged about what you cast on your ballot, it should be something you're proud of. I think that is a little bit of the change that we're starting to see, so it's exciting. Mm. That's great. That's great. So let me ask you this, in the CSO program, I mean, do you talk about, or as a CSO, were you thinking about civic engagement particularly? In, I mean, certainly you're focused on STEM engagement, but is civic engagement part of that? Here in Arizona, the neat part is that it started here. And so Arizona Commerce Authority is one of our foundational partners. And the fact that we're trying to partner with them to work on different things that are impacting Arizona State. Mm -hmm. Once we spread internationally and we had students like Dominique attended um, a meeting with a third chief technology officer of the United States, Ms. Megan Smith, who is now a huge champion mm -hmm. of our program, mm -hmm. um, they actually were able to impact different policies and talk with you know, their representatives and engage with legislators. We had 90 minutes with Governor Ducey last year where mm -hmm. we had 15 students on his STEM Council Advisory Committee. Mm -hmm. So I think that they are aware and they're still grasping that idea that I can make a difference even though I'm 11 or 12 or 15. Mm -hmm. right. They are starting to realize and adults 
are starting to listen. So that's the really neat impact about the program. So we we do showcase um, as part of our program goals that they are a member of the community and they stand up and use their voice. And I think that that's a really special distinction that it's not just about science promotion, but right. it's about the, the role of science and decision making within society. Absolutely. Yeah. What do you did, think, Dominique? I was saying, did that, that actually come yeah. across? Yes. <laughs> I completely agree. I, I wasn't really aware of all the things that I could do as a student until we started getting involved with people like Governor Ducey and Megan Smith, knowing all of these, all these very popular, famous names mm -hmm. that I didn't know before being involved. Good. Yeah. All right. Good. Well, so you know, Dominique, if you want to kind of bring us. <coughs> home <coughs> with an idea if I can make it through this without hacking up a full lung um, but she doesn't look sick listener she's gorgeous face <laughs> 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 for radio um, you know what what's your you know our, our podcast is called future out loud and we're interested in you know our collective future so as a young person that feeling of empowerment that you got from being a CSO, knowing that not everybody is going to have this experience, right, in the CSO program, what, what do you think we should be doing as a society to engage your generation, the generation of kids who are right behind you in, you know, in civic life? I think we should be talking more. I'm actually in an ethics kind of course right now and we are having these conversations and our minds are being changed about all of these ethical conversations and I believe that that brings me personally back to politics and having those kind of conversations with people that are from the left side or people that are from the right side just trying to understand where everyone's coming from if we just sit down share a cup of coffee it's that easy to just meet with someone for maybe 20 minutes between classes mm -hmm. you know over break or just find that little bit of time there's that little bit of time that if you want to scroll through social media you can actually sit down and talk to somebody mm -hmm. and and learn a thing or two that's great so are you saying let me be clear yeah we should be talking about politics with other people I think we should. Okay. All right. It's a great place to finish. Let's talk politics. Yeah, let's talk politics. It's part of science and technology. It is. Yeah. All right. Very good. Well, Dominique, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. Kelly, thank you. Absolutely. It was our pleasure. All right. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, Heather. Get well soon. Thank you. For more where that came from, check out the School for the Future of Innovation and Society at sfis.asu.edu. Future Out Loud is produced with the support of the School for the Future of Innovation and Society and the Risk Innovation Lab at ASU. Mark Van Hare created our music. Our website is futureoutloud.org. Subscribe to Future Out Loud on iTunes or SoundCloud or wherever you get your fine